Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm your host Jack Perks and today I'm going to be talking about how you can make or produce a wildlife photography book. Now I'd normally do a new segment but seeing as I'm doing a podcast each day this week and all the news is about a certain pathogen we'll head straight into the juicy bit. So we're going to talk a bit about books. So basically you've kind of got two options. You can self-publish or you can go with a publisher. And there are ups and downs to both of those. So to give you my background on this, I have published uh, two books with a publisher, but I've also worked on various other books and there are lots of kind of levels you can work at. I've never self-published a book. That doesn't mean that I wouldn't do. So why would you work with a publisher? What are the advantages? Well, they cover all of the work. They pay for all the printing costs, all the advertising, all that sort of stuff. And typically they've got a lot of contacts in the industry and in the media that maybe you won't have or you'll struggle to get hold of. The other thing, of course, is you get the kudos. And that is that if a publisher have put their faith in you to make a book, then you've got to have something about you. You've got to be an expert in your field or you've got to be engaging because at the end of the day, any Tom, Dick or Harry can self-publish. That doesn't mean it's a very good book or it's a very interesting book. I've had people uh, give me self-published books and they've been bloody awful, so boring, just just a, a vanity uh, read. But if it's going to be something that is with a publisher, then it's got to be something that's going to appeal to a wide audience. So there is that sort of thing. And you should, and I'll come on to this in a little bit later, but you should get paid every six months as well, or depends what kind of deal you've got, but you should get a kind of fee every every few months, basically, which just pops into your bank account. Oh, lovely, there's that money. You haven't got to go chasing, or hopefully you haven't got to go chasing for payments. So publishers are, are good to work with that way. Typically, you don't get as much money with a publisher as you will self-publishing, but that's a very broad statement. It doesn't appeal to everything, but normally... Um, there is more money with, with self-publishing, but there's a lot more work as well. So it largely depends on, on what you're doing. Now, with self-publishing, you've got a lot of time and effort and expense. And it largely depends what you're doing and, and how much time you've got to kind of put into this. But of course, all the work is yours as well. Whether that's all the images are yours, but all the writing could be yours. It depends if you open up the project. Uh, there are other options. You can get people to fund you, whether you kind of approach an organisation, maybe crowdfunding. A lot of people crowdfund uh, self-published uh, projects now. So when would it be a good idea to self-publish? Well, very specialised subjects because publishers are not going to want to take a risk on a really specialist subject. Um, who wants to read, you know, the great big book of British pond snails? I'm sure there is a market somewhere, but is there a market there enough that an entire publisher is going to spend a lot of money on that? Probably not. But self-publishing could be an option for that, and you could sell a few copies, and, and sometimes it makes it more of a limited thing. It's quite a nice thing to do that. Local books work really well, so you could do uh, books about a county. So, for example, sometimes they have a wider reach. So, like, a book about London's wildlife or a book about Cornwall has a national interest. But the wildlife of, say, Bedfordshire, again, is quite niche. If you don't live in Bedfordshire, you're probably not going to be that interested in it. So self-publishing, again, is a, is a good option there. And when you've got a bit of a following, if you've got a good social media following or you, you're, you're known in your respective field, then you've got a captive audience who hopefully will buy some of those books. So it is worth it. Um, printing in the UK is pretty expensive. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that because we do 
produce some quality books in the UK, but nine times out of ten, most people print in Asia because it's, even though it's further away, it's a hell of a lot cheaper to, to do multiple multiple books. It's not all honey and gin. I don't think that's a saying, but you know what I mean. It's not all, all, all great times with publishers either. And I had some trouble with New Holland, uh, New Holland publishers. And I don't want to turn this podcast into me slagging them off for 30 minutes, although I could probably do a two-hour special if I really wanted to. But it can be problematic. And what happened was they weren't paying me or they weren't sending me statements. And it was in the contract. And this is, this is so important. If you're working with a publisher read the T's and C's, read the fine print, because there's always going to be little things in there that can work in your favour or possibly work against you. And it said every six months I should receive a statement, not necessarily money, but I should know how many sales I've made. And I wasn't getting those. And fast forward three years, I'd only had three statements. So they were averaging one one a year when I should have had at least two a year. And I emailed and emailed, just wasn't getting replies. It was incredibly frustrating. And then uh, one of the employees let slip in an email that they'd lost all the records, so they didn't know who was owed what, and I just thought, this is just becoming an absolute joke. So in the end, I produced two books with them, and I've not earned any royalties. I got paid in advance, but I've earned no royalties, and they've now said that they don't expect me to make any royalties because both books have been pulled um, and are no longer in print. So that was heartbreaking for me, because I loved the, the Freshwater Fishes of Britain book, the very first one I did. Second book, not too fussed about the the Pond and River Guide one, but but the first one, I was I was really pleased with that, and I just wanted to vent my frustration, so I did a social media post, and this is the power of social media, and I had Chewbacca from Star Wars smashing a guitar because that's the closest thing I could articulate how I was feeling, and I just put this long-winded message just saying, I'm just fed up with them. This is all the problems they've caused me. They've not been sending statements. They've been doing all this and then weirdly enough the next day uh, one of the higher ups from New Holland who I've never spoken to before sent me an email out of the blue and accused me of not being very professional and then I basically just said well it's not very professional not sending statements and pay slips and things like that and we kind of left it at that so before it got more heated but I won't be doing any more books with them let's, let's put it that way but I have done books with other people and this is the thing I've actually found that you'll make more money selling photos to books than you will making a book. I've made way more money selling my images for someone else's book than I've actually done writing and producing my own books, which is incredibly strange, but that's that's how it's kind of worked out. Um, so would I advise you to do a book? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say you're going to retire on the proceeds. You know, it really depends what you want to do. If you are passionate about a subject and you want to get something out there, then then why not go for it? But just just don't be under any delusions that you're going to make a, a ridiculous amount of money on a photo book. Photo books cost more money to make because you've got the different kinds of paper and printing. Hardbacks are more expensive. Um, I was told that you make way more money on a kind of a paperback with no writing uh, in it, uh, not writing, be very dull book if it didn't have any writing, um, any pictures in it. That's where the better money is. Um, I forget the name of the kind of book, you know what I mean, like the kind of small, like a holiday book. Um, that's the one where you make more money because the money they save on printing and photos goes to the author. So that's where that, that kind of stuff is. But photo books, there isn't, there isn't a huge amount of money, but it is nice to, to have those sort of things. But before you get to that point, you've got to get the book rolling. You've got to pitch something to someone or get them to come to you 
and publishers will will seek out people and that's where you know a healthy social media following comes in a specialism or something like that but nine times out of ten it'll be you maybe chasing the publishers so how do you do a successful pitch well there's lots of things you can do the first thing is obviously form an idea. There's no point going to a publisher going, oh, I'd really like to do a book, and that's it. They, they, they ain't going to want to know that. So think of an idea. Once you've got that idea, I would say you need at least one sample chapter. And if you're a photographer, it might be that you don't want to write it, you might want to work with someone else, but just pick someone to do that, get them to write that chapter, get some sample images together, and then maybe mock up a little PDF. You don't have to do too much but just to give them a flavor of what the writing's like what the image quality is like um, I would keep the pitch pretty short and sweet just send them an email go explain who you are why they should care who you are is the important thing again it's not I'm this person they're like great why are you qualified to write this book or why are you gonna sell books and then that's where you say well I'm an expert in blah de blah or I've got this uh, qualification or I've done this for TV or I've done this or this and that just to kind of help them along the way to to picking you and then maybe a paragraph a strong paragraph of what the idea of this book is and then I would just leave your phone number and just say look if you want to discuss this more let's go for it because publishers get pitched ideas daily and they don't want to be reading a massive document or a massive email keep it short and sweet this is what I'm doing are you interested and that's the best way to do it and that brings me to the final part of the podcast, which is Nature Reserve of the Week. And I've decided to go with probably one of the best known sites in Britain, which is Donnanook. So Donnanook is on the North Lincolnshire coastline and it's run by the Lincolnshire Wildlife Trust. And there's around about six miles of coastline for you to explore. Uh, part of it is also MOD. They use that for target practice for bombing. So there's bits, there's areas where you can't go onto it, but there's still plenty where you can go out and you can get a good look at some of the birds. In the summer, there's a good breeding colony of terns, and around about 250 species have been recorded uh, on the reserve, including lots of r rarities and migrants coming off the coast, things like snow bunting on the beach and stuff like that. You also get lots of plants like sea buckthorn, for example, which attracts field fear, red wing, blackbirds. But without a doubt, the main attraction of Donnanook is its huge colony of grey seals in the winter. Round about November, December, the adults come on to breed, the males come to fight and also give birth. So it's one of the best places to engage with marine life in, in the UK. There are two car parks you to park in. I, I know one of them's private and you have to pay a small fee. I can't remember if you pay in the other one or not. I think you might have to. And they also have catering, kind of like a burger van um, that's there as well. But that's only there in the winter as far as I'm aware for, for the seals. Um, toilets, there are no toilets there. I mean, facilities, apart from a car park, are pretty lacking. But again, you're not really going there for that. You're going there to see the seal. It's a really short walk from the car park, and it's all pretty even ground. So if you can't walk very well, um, then this isn't going to be a problem at this reserve. There's a fence that goes along it, and you can stand next to the fence. The seals can be literally the other side of the fence, and you can get some amazing close-up views of wild grey seals. It's a great place for photography. Uh, last year there was a Pomeranian skewer that turned up, was kind of getting a lot of the twitches excited. So they do get rarities all throughout the year as well. But if you've never been before, it is an absolute must for anyone in the wildlife calendar. 
So we've got podcasts coming out every day this week, so stay tuned. We've got special guests like Sam Stewart. He's going to be talking about wildlife filmmaking. Do you have to live in Bristol to make it? We've got some archival stuff from Bryden Thomason talking about otters in Shetland. And we've also got Richard Shucksmith talking about underwater photography, killer whales, and swimming with humpback whales in Shetland. I interview Pete Cooper about rewilding. Is it worth all the hassle? And I speak to Vince Cater from Photospeed about prints. Are they still relevant in a modern day and age? Plus loads more content coming up. Um, after that, podcasts are going to be released weekly, every Tuesday, and I'm still going to have lots of special guests and interesting topics. So is there a topic you'd like me to cover? Is there a guest you'd like to get me on onto the podcast? So get in touch, send in your questions. I'd love to to hear some stuff from you guys. So yeah, hopefully you're enjoying it. This is only the second one, so we'll, we'll get there somehow. And I will catch you next time. Cheers.